0: Hello everyone, welcome to Changes, my name is Annie McManus. hope you're doing well. I am talking to you actually having just come back from a podcast chat, one of those panel things as part of the London Podcast Show. You'll hear more about that next week uh, when we bring you our first ever Changes Live podcast from the London Podcast Show. But I also took part in this panel with the wonderful Fee Glover and Jane Garvey, uh, the two ladies who do the very successful Fortunately podcast for the BBC. And Fee asked me... What was my matrix of success when it comes to the Changes podcast? And I'd never been asked that question before and I thought it was a really useful thing to think about. And what I said at the time was that I want to allow and give space for people to change their lives in terms of how they think or how they live their lives as a result of listening to these conversations. And that's happened a few times. Um, People have changed their minds about things, they have changed directions in their lives, they've been given inspiration to change jobs or change their relationships or change certain uh, situations they find themselves in. A very extreme version of that, for instance, is when I did the episode with my husband, T, and he talked about his adult diagnosis of ADHD. I'm still getting messages from Changes listeners months later to say that they are going to get diagnosed for ADHD and they have more empathy towards their partner who is ADHD. So it's that idea of kind of listening to an episode and it helping to spark something that then... Leads to a change of some sort. I really hope that this episode does that same thing. I've wanted to do an episode with regards to long COVID uh, for a while now on changes, and I'm so happy to be able to bring you this. You don't need to be reminded that one of the biggest changes we've all been through since 2020 is living through a pandemic. At the time of releasing this episode, There have been over 22.3 million confirmed cases of coronavirus in the UK and almost 180,000 deaths. Now cases are falling, but it's estimated that 1 in 50 people in the UK currently have COVID and some of these people develop what is called long covid So an early estimate from the Office for National Statistics stated that between 3 and 12% of people who catch COVID will still have symptoms 12 weeks after their initial infection, and that 1.3 million people in the UK were experiencing long COVID symptoms as of January of this year. I'm sure there's many more now. Of those 1.3 million, more than four in 10, so 42%, were experiencing long COVID symptoms more than a year after their first suspected infection. Almost two thirds said their symptoms had reduced their ability to carry out daily activities. So we're going to put a link in the show notes to the website providing these statistics, which also gives further information about symptoms and tips. But I want to get the real human experience behind the statistics, and this is where this week's episode comes in. Kate Weinberg is a writer and journalist. Her first novel, The Truants, which is out now, was a New York Times top 10 crime novel of 2020 and an Observer Book of the Year. And crucially for this conversation, Kate has also written in great detail about her experience of suffering from long COVID. Kate is not an expert or an authority on long COVID and everyone's experience is different. The first port of call for anyone with COVID symptoms should be your GP. However, what you will hear is Kate speaking so articulately and compellingly of her personal experience and all the research she's done as a result of having long COVID. Now, interestingly, speaking to Kate, it's clear that many of the things she has felt and learned along the way also apply to lots of long-term illnesses. So if you think this could help someone suffering with long COVID or otherwise, please do pass it on. I started by getting Kate to list the symptoms she has experienced from long COVID and the many things she has tried to do in order to get better.
1: The symptoms... Body pain, the sort of body aches were one of the main symptoms. I felt like I was wearing this really heavy suit of armour and that was incredibly painful. Headaches, dizziness, breathlessness, nausea, brain fog. Fatigue is such a bad word, it drives me crazy because fatigue doesn't come close to this sort of poisoned feeling that you get in your system. It literally feels like you're just flooded with toxins and this very, very drained Muscle weakness, which is some sometimes bizarrely accompanied by a sort of agitation, so you're feeling agitated, but you're feeling profoundly weak, which is a sort of hell wow. <laughs> to be in um, hard to describe, and I'm sure I've missed a ton out, but those were the sort of primary primary symptoms for me. in terms of the things that I tried, wow, a whole Holland and Barrett shop <laughs> worth of of supplements um, vitamin d. C, B, B3, quercetin, resveratrol, magnesium, zinc, Uh, a few more supplements, Chinese herbal medicine, yoga, acupuncture, reflexology, steroids, LDN nicotinic acid is the b3 flush effect which is a really weird one by the way you you can't just use normal b3 you have to use the flush effect one and it makes you get bright red when you when you take it um which is actually something to do with your vessels dilating and for me particularly i think it was helpful because i had a very big circulatory aspect to it but um yeah b3 which is also called nicotinic acid ivermectin iodine um i just threw everything at it Whenever anyone said, do this, I was just totally gung-ho and did it. Nutritionally, I was put on the keto diet, high-protein diet, or uh, an anti-inflammatory diet, a low-histamine diet. One of the schools of thought is that your mast, uh, mast cells have been activated and that you're having a sort of hyperallergic response. And there's this protocol of antihistamines that you can take. And I'm still on three different antihistamines a day. Some of these things I feel like Part of acknowledging that I'm better is just I've slowed them down, but take less nicotinic acid, wean myself off these things, which feel like, uh, yikes, what will happen if I do? Mm. But I know I'm well. So they're, they're, they're sort of mental crutches now. Can you start, Kate, by
0: telling us how you are now? I mean, it's been about 18 months since you started feeling the effects of long COVID, right?
1: That's right. And uh, I'm going to tell you that I am completely better. But even. What? <laughs> no, but that's amazing. It, it is amazing. But even as I say it, I feel quite nervous saying it. Because yeah. the whole experience of long COVID is this sort of gaslighting experience where you, you can't quite trust your own body or your mind. So even as I say I'm better, and I have been solidly better for the last three months. There's a little bit of my brain splitting off and saying, uh, are you jinxing something? Are you deluding yourself again? Because there have been these sort of moments of, you know, few days of remission or even a couple of weeks of remission and then things have rolled back. I gave myself a little target of three months that once I got to three months, I could say, yes, I am better because I really feel that a lot of it is also about reassuming an identity of a well person. So um, while I want to stress straight away that long COVID is not at all something that starts in the mind, I think, you know, the mind and body are very connected and you have to be extremely careful about your relationship mentally to your own condition or sickness. Well, I'm so
0: happy that you are well um, and feeling well for that long. I mean, I I know and kind of have read the struggle that it's been, and I'm sure a lot of people will relate to that, just how wonderful it is to be able to say that you're well after all of this uncertainty and and all of this work that you've had to do. I know you've learned so much, Kate, and you've had to out of, you know, there'd be no choice. You've had to go and explore and do this research and have this big journey in terms of discovering long COVID, but... Give me a picture of what you know about long COVID now, just an overall thing for people who are coming into this blind and they've kind of
1: heard of it, but they don't really know what the hell it is. Can you help? I can help partially because there, there's still only so much that anyone understands about long COVID. Right. I mean, I will speak very much from my experience and I'll speak a bit from all the things that I've learned. But um, one thing that long COVID isn't is just the lingering after effects of covid itself long covid seems to be a response to the virus which is an overactive immune system essentially where the body starts gets itself in a state of permanent threat and starts hmm. attacking in my case certainly pre-existing weak areas. Though for some people, there are symptoms that have come out of the blue. They've never had any problems with their heart and suddenly there are issues with their heart too. But for me, I have noticed that it zones in on Achilles heels, I suppose, already in my mm. system. But but that's what it is. It's a condition where some kind of cytokine storm seems to be happening in your body like it does in the acute stage of the virus, but it persuades your body that there's a problem and your body start, starts sort of misbehaving and behaving in this very disorganised fashion.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, and there are lots of theories about why that's happening um, and who that's happening to. It seems to me that the most persuasive one is this autoimmune issue this hyperactive immune system where you know your body as I said is in this permanent state of panic it can't let itself rest and it doesn't really have anything to attack anymore so it starts attacking itself so for me it's very very caught up with the um, nervous system and that is something that's very that's been established but whether that's because of some kind of persistence of virus in the body uh, some kind of debris left over Mm. they're not quite sure the doctors are still trying to suss that out.
0: And is there an accepted government approved overview of COVID? There doesn't seem to be a definition of exactly what long COVID is. Are they avoiding that at the moment?
1: Yeah, I think they are because um, for as long as long COVID has been in existence, it seems to be that there have been these competing theories and different people campaigning for it to be recognised in different ways. So I know that it's now been accepted as an autoimmune condition it has okay so it seems to be this sort of very hazy sort of umbrella term which is what happens when your body gets totally messed up with covid and it doesn't know what it's doing anymore and you can go from an incredibly healthy dynamic fit often loads of athletes get taken down by this um people with no comorbidities and end up completely debilitated and often completely stuck in your lives i mean i'm unbelievably lucky to be in this position part of the thing that I really want to land with you today Annie is just how psychological an experience this is how utterly undermining it is of your sense of your own reliability as a witness to your own condition so you know I write a lot about unreliable narrators and I've been in this strange position where my body has felt like an unreliable narrator.
0: So it was November 2020 that you started feeling the effects. Talk me through.
1: Okay, so it's November 2020 and I'm living an incredibly busy life. My novel that I've written sort of fairly recently is still something that I'm promoting and has recently been published in the States. Um, and I'm starting to research and get stuck into my second novel, which is under contract. So I'm kind mm. of all out there. I've got two kids who are. 10 and 8, I've got an incredibly busy husband, I've got uh, lots of friends and I'm really feeling like I'm kind of in the prime of my life. I'm feeling really properly thrilled to be alive and even though there's this horrendous ha- pandemic going on I'm spending my whole time thinking god I'm lucky god I'm lucky god I'm lucky I can't believe my experience at this time my dream of becoming an author through my life has been realized and it's gone better than I've possibly imagined etc etc if I was a character in a book I'm waiting for a fall I'm kind of fallow ground for something to come and knock me over and indeed it does and I start to feel essentially it was almost like I felt like a scarecrow that bits of the stuffing had been taken out. I was just very much more weak and drained than I was accustomed to being. I just felt much less robust. And occasionally I'd have these sort of strange feelings like someone had taken my batteries out altogether. And I'd have to just lie down immediately. Sometimes I'd just lie down on the floor. I tested initially for COVID and I was negative with a lateral flow. This was back in the day when we didn't know that lateral flow was not very reliable. And I thought, okay, so I haven't got COVID. What else is it? Maybe it's something hormonal. Maybe it's something nutritional. And so I kind of went round the houses. I met with a couple of doctors. I ignored it for a bit. I took lots of vitamins, uh, and it was a very, very uneven decline. So I'd have a good day, and I'd think maybe there's nothing wrong with me. Maybe that was in my head. Maybe I was just hungover. Who knows what it was? And then it started getting worse. Uh, And I started feeling like I needed to spend two or three hours a day in bed when the kids were at school. I was thinking, this is so strange. Is this viral? And what is it? And then I realised that I'd lost my my taste and smell. And at that point, it, it became clear that I had COVID. And fairly soon after that, I'd say two or three days after that, I started feeling dizzier and weaker. And then I was stuck in bed for four months. I was in a position where I went from being sort of slightly fragile to, it's very, very hard to get myself out of bed and marshal myself down the stairs and make a cup of tea. At Mm. which point my doctor said to me, all we know about long covid is the more physical exertion we do you do the worse it is so the thing you have to do is stop moving become as sedentary as possible either that's in bed or on the sofa remember i've got two young kids so this is not so easy um but just but but don't move just do as little as possible as you can and let time flow let time pass what we know is that For most people, it seems to be about a 12-week course that, you know, that it can kind of pass through and your body uh, settles. We don't know what's going on, she said, but we do know that most people get better after 12 weeks. And she was a very empathetic doctor and she, thank God, because there are a lot of people whose experiences of doctors are the polar opposite. But she said, um, she said, the thing you need to know is you will get better. Uh, and I don't, I don't think she knew. Wow. Well, she definitely didn't know that. But she knew that it was important for me to have some hope. And of course, I didn't really. I mean, I had some hope some days, but mostly I was in this position where I was thinking, "What if this is it?" Uh, and she said, "Look, get get one of those Fitbits and make sure that you restrict your movement to 500 steps a day." Now, I don't know about you, but I, th- I mean. I had no idea what 500 steps a day was but actually by the time you've gone downstairs and made a cup of tea or made a bowl of porridge which was freezing winter uh that's sort of your allowance yeah um so it was this very very odd thing where i i couldn't move even when i felt better during the day i was supposed not to move it's very hard to just you know describe that that shift suddenly from being someone that doesn't sit still, moves mm. around a lot is really sociable and works really hard to don't move stay exactly yeah. where you are um, and through the day, the symptoms would radically change so so i'd wake up in the morning and i'd do this mental scan of my body and try and work out what have I got today you know what's the right. what what's in the advent calendar of symptoms that i'm going to open this morning and for me personally it manifested a lot around um body aches like really fierce burning body aches a clamp on the back of my skull like a very painful squeezing gripping feeling and this odd dizzy spaced out brain foggy Mm. feeling that people talk a lot about the brain fog for, for me, certainly when I was in the depths of it, fog feels like a pretty inadequate word. It wasn't just that I was looking for words and couldn't find them. It felt like my whole being was under dust sheets. You know, I felt well, like I, I couldn't experience my senses in any normal way. Uh, so it was this sort of awful abyss that you felt like you had descended into and you'd pop up through the day, but when you were in it, It felt uh, like everything had been, all your senses had been plugged and you were deeply, deeply underwater. How were you coping and your husband coping with the fact that your professional life
0: literally just had to stop? Your parenting was diminished in terms of what you could offer and
1: do. How were you coping at that point? Pretty badly. Um, Mm. I mean, in some ways, it was lucky that it was lockdown because by the time I got into bed and was stuck in bed... We would locked down again. So it meant there wasn't the school run to deal with. And the kids were at home and they were homeschooling. In a strange way, the world was stuck. I was stuck Mm. within a stuck world. But Mm. we weren't having to move anywhere. No one was expecting to see anyone. So in some ways that weirdly helped. But it was really hard. I mean, even reading a few pages of a story to my kids would flare my symptoms and I'd have to sleep for a couple of hours afterwards. You know, obviously my husband was working from home as well and it was just this horrible get through the day. And some days I was more there than others. And that's the other thing is long COVID is unbelievably difficult for people, if you get it badly, for the people around you. A, because it's such a confusing illness because one moment you've popped up and you're walking down the stairs and you look relatively normal and you can talk like this and then the next minute you're entirely debilitated and even too much noise in the room bright Mm. lights a draft all of those things feel lacerating to your body so you're you're sort of fending off the world because you just can't cope with it in the article that you wrote you talked about feeling like the virus was gaslighting Mm. you can you tell us a bit about that so this is the bit that i I talk to a lot of people now who have long COVID and this is the bit that I think people most need to understand to be able to help other people who've got long COVID because there seems to be very little you can do in terms of the symptoms. There are techniques which we can come on to which are incredibly helpful but the mental position you're in is this very, very disturbing state of constant imposter syndrome so you when you're feeling incredibly ill you know you're incredibly ill but you're also overcome with a terror that you're never going to get better that you're going to be completely stuck right but when you're not feeling ill you're completely questioning your whole sanity like am i ill am i making this up are those people who say that long covid is psychosomatic and is actually just a way of you know dealing with other stresses in your life are they right had I wound my life up too fast and hard so that I was you know my body was kind of telling me to stop and so you're you're constantly dealing with these two terrifying unknowns am I ever going to get better and is this real and it seems to be the minute you decide yes it is real you're body does this very cruel thing it says it, and, and it allows you to feel better and you think well that's great but actually it's not because you, you're completely disorientated by that fact and even worse than that you suddenly feel incredibly hopeful and then the crushing disappointment when the symptoms mm. start again so mm. you can have two days as I did in the in the sort of depths of my kind of four months I had two days where I could I went for a short walk around the garden which was extraordinary I had lunch with family it felt normal I stayed up relatively late and I thought this is this is gone mm. and then the experience the gaslighting experience when two days later I woke up with these the, the it was like the return of you know your worst nightmare that had evaded my body again and I thought oh god I'm I'm not even getting better and I had this constant vision of this snakes and ladders board in my head which was you know once you'd go up these ladders and then there would be these bigger snakes you'd fall down and you know how on the snakes and ladders board at 99 there's that particularly cruel snake that sort of knocks you down to whatever it is three or two that kept happening So the whole thing was a total kind of, excuse my language, mindfuck. I mean, it just was utterly disorientating.
0: So it's this idea of every time you think you're moving forwards, you go back and the kind of exhaustive nature the kind of wearing down of your hope and your optimism and then the self-doubt in thinking was i even well did that even happen
1: exactly so it's the mixture of hope and despair which just seemed to go in this constant cycle but as you say even the hope and the despair had this completely unstable foundation of is this happening or not Mm. which It clearly was, Um, but there's so much, and I know there are all sorts of communities out there, you know, especially autoimmune illnesses like ME and um, CFS, they've all experienced this a sense of self-doubt and also this gaslighting of the medical establishment, which who are all saying, well, actually, you've probably just got your knickers in a twist in your life somehow and your, you know, your, your body's expressing it. Uh, And I think in some ways it's been helpful for those communities the long COVID came along because the sheer numbers and the synchronicity of people getting ill in the same way meant that it wasn't just... random thing that someone got taken out by ME and therefore could have been a psychological issue. Yeah. Because you can't get that many people succumbing to a neuroses at the same time. You know, <laughs> that's just not possible. It's not a negligible amount. Personally, and I, I know a lot of long COVID people feel the same, which is I'm just terrified for the amount of people that I know are sitting ducks. You know, they are right. they are gonna go through some version of this experience that I will. It's not that it's stop it's going to suddenly stop happening.
0: No, and it makes me think that if there is a knowledge now and an awareness, maybe not completely conclusive, but if there is an awareness and a knowledge of long COVID and what it is and how you maybe could get it or whatever, surely yeah. there should be some sort of public information or campaigns to people now saying, if you have COVID, these are the things you can do to maybe prevent getting long COVID.
1: Yeah. Uh, But there's nothing. I agree. No, there's absolutely nothing. And I think it feels to me like there's a lot of nervousness around so-called scaremongering and what that's going to do to the economy and what that's going to do to people's confidence and um, panic and things like that. Whereas I totally agree with you. I really think that, you know, the best thing you can do if you possibly can when you get COVID is just to take everything out you know, yeah. just to completely succumb to it even if it feels minor because i had a you know i had a pretty light dusting of the virus until the actual long covid symptoms started i mean it's a very interesting point who who gets long covid and they know that there's a big cohort of women in their 40s and they're trying to work out how much that's I tied to... i did not know h- that mm, i'm afraid so uh, how much that's tied to hormones um and you, whether perimenopause Plays Shit. a part in that. I know. Sorry. Sorry. Fuck, it's just
0: so unfair,
1: though. Like, yeah. as if there's another thing that women can be fucking prone to because of. Right. Uh, I know. Like, and then also, and also, <laughs> when we're getting into the unfairness of that everyone's always thinking we're being neurotic. So, um, and there's there's always more women who get told that things are in their head than men. Of course. And now, you, yeah. now you've got something which is incredibly mind-body um, connected and women are more prone to it. Well, you know, you're going to get a lot of male doctors and I'm afraid there are only male doctors that I've read about that seem to say this, which is... Uh, you know this is a kind of mass hysteria it's infuriating so Kate like I guess one good thing
0: about the fact that women in their 40s get it is that I don't think it's possible to feel more in tune with who you are as a person than when you are a woman in your 40s there's something about women where they are good at talking I don't want to gender generalize here but in my experience but also they're quite in tune with their bodies because they have to be because of you know, maybe childbirth, menstruation, whatever, you're aware of your cycles, you're aware of your moods and your hormones. Mm-hmm. Like, how did your relationship with your body change upon getting long COVID? What did it do for you and how you felt about your body?
1: I'm gonna answer that by slightly taking part with the first part of what you said, which yeah, is please that, do. That, that, that women in their 40s are super self-aware. I, For me personally, I thought I was super self-aware and- right. experience of having children and juggling that with a career that was at the time taking off and putting a huge amount into friendships and having all these competing demands on me meant that even though I was emotionally attuned to the people in my life I was entirely out of touch with my body I'd always just taken it completely for granted that I had uh, a, a body that that worked really well there's a huge change In the way that you see yourself but the change for me i understood was actually it was revealing things that were already there that actually it wasn't that my body um hadn't had these weaknesses and these areas but it was just that i was not looking at them so for Mm. example my circulation was was not terrific and i got cold very easily and i've got something that's called raynaud's syndrome which is just where your fingers and toes go a little bit white and blue when you're cold and a lot of people especially women again have that and it's a total it's a minor minor thing and it just meant that i i was normally someone that had to sort of hop around a little bit if i was waiting in a queue outside or wear a hat or whatever and long covid when it came along when i got remotely cold the symptoms just went uh and there were other things about my body and actually about my kind of emotional makeup which were the same. I've always been very kind of acutely aware to when there's a dynamic in the room that's not being spoken about and there's a sort of falsity there or hypocrisy mm. in the room. Mm. And again mm. if if I was having a conversation where I wasn't really that it felt like there was a sort of dishonesty or some kind of trade going on. Again, my symptoms would flare up. So it it felt like that it was showing you things that, I you know, think of myself as a pretty self-aware person, that it was showing you things that you knew but weren't really getting to grips with in your life, both physically and mentally. Wow. And you you describe it as when dye is injected into the... Yeah, exactly. So I always had this image of... um, and I think this is right, of when you go into an MRI scan and they put some kind of dye in your body so that you can, sh- it shows up the veins or the nasties in the veins. And it felt mm. like long COVID was, was, was showing up, was like this super X-ray. And it was showing yeah. up these things that, that were there, but that you hadn't really properly confronted or you had sort of thought, well, that's there, but it's fine. I can kind of, I'm, a, right. I'm functioning, I'm, I'm gonna move past that. You know, and, uh, and it highlighted it and it made you stop in your tracks and go, you've got to frigging deal with this now. So mm-hmm. you've got to take out those relationships that don't feel right. right. And you've got to yeah. calm down your nervous system and deal with your circulation issues and yeah, yeah, certain yeah. areas. And I know that everyone who has long COVID has a different version of this. You know, it seems this very oddly bespoke condition it finds out the parts of you that have some kind of uh, weakness or threat response and it, you know, burrows into it. And that sounds slightly woo-woo, but it's not. I've spoken to so many long COVID people and I always sort of thought of long COVID as quite a cowardly disease in that sense, you know. It seems to kind of... uh, prey on the weak parts. Yeah, it's like, go pick on someone your own size, for God's sake, you know. So... um, yeah, it feels like a, it, It's got this sort of rather malicious intent, uh, yeah. but the upside of that is that it makes you find out these things about yourself and think, right, okay, I've got a, I've got a deal here. I've got a, I've got to look these things in the eye.
0: So you had four months where you said you were, I think you described yourself as a pale ghost, yes. just kind of just kind of existing and, and trying to navigate through this. It felt like there's a turning point where you actually took it on yourself to be like, I need to get better. I don't know how, no one is helping me to do this in, in the way I need. I have to do it myself. Talk me through that transition.
1: Okay, so, I mean, I've always... Fancied myself as a kind of amateur detective, <laughs> uh, and I kind of, you know, I enjoy having like little crime elements or mystery elements in my writing as well. I've always kind of um, enjoyed trying to crack things, and so when I got to the point where actually I could concentrate for a few hours a day, right? Okay, what? How am I going to use this energy? So kids had gone back to school and it was during the day, what can I do with it? Luckily for me, though unluckily for her, one of my best friends also had um, long COVID and she had had long COVID since March 2020 and uh, and she'd had to quit her job and um, she didn't have children, but she was sort of incredibly busy and she had been totally derailed by it, as I had. We basically got on the case. The long COVID clinics had sprung up and no one was getting anywhere. I mean, as far as we could work out, people were going into long COVID clinics after a three to six month wait and just being told everything we already knew, which was, oh, rest a bit and do some breathing and take some more vitamin C and and go home. So, um, so we thought, right, okay, let's be the vigilantes of long COVID. She was actually the person who discovered this brilliant YouTube channel by this person called Jez Medinger, Um, who i've since met and encouraged to write about it he's writing a book called long covid handbook which is um it's going to be published in a few months but he had set up this youtube channel he'd been a runner and an athlete and also a journalist uh interviewing all the experts on long covid and all the latest thinking Mm -hmm. and uh my friend sasha um found this channel and on one of the episodes he had spoken to this man called aid wentzel who was a south african consultant who was recommending this particular supplement which was a vitamin b3 uh which seemed to be working and by this point by the way at my bedside table was like holland and barrett i mean it was just right. stacked with supplement all, and, yeah. and of course everyone well-meaning and loving in your life has sure. got a kind of new idea on Mm. kind of how they can help what supplement what healer what you know graded exercise all these different ideas but he seemed to be getting this um effect with this vitamin B3 so we tried it for a while and that you know seemed to have a real effect on my energy not you know massive but it just sort of significantly maybe 10 or 15% over 3 mm. weeks i started to feel better it was very hard to know whether that was chronology but Sure. I still take it and I still think that it is supportive. It supports the mitochondrial function, which is the thing that it delivers energy around your body, which is uh, one of the um, main theories around long COVID is that it's attacking the mitochondria. And then after I'd written an article, I wrote an article previous to the Times in the Mail, someone who kind of deals mm. with mindset techniques got in touch with me via Instagram and said, I read your article and I can help. And I'd been very, very skeptical of anything that I thought was purely a mental approach to long COVID. It felt like a slightly kind of patronizing way to go to deal with such obviously physical symptoms. But I did a short course and she taught me these techniques which were basically to do with visualization and a kind of brain training exercise. And that really helped. You know again it didn't get me the whole way but it really helped because what I was able to do was rather than wake up and sort of scan yeah. my body for everything that was wrong with it I'd focus on what was working that day and it was just you know it, it's not as simple as positive thinking but it really helps you know in the way okay. that we all know that um, focusing on on the things that are working in your life will kind of have a physical effect on you you know it has, has an effect on the chemicals in your body so that All these little mindset or big mindset techniques that she taught really helped. And my friend did that as well. So it's kind of like, okay, well, we've got a couple of jigsaw pieces here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm by no means completely out of the pit, but I'm starting to make progress that isn't slipping the whole way back down to the beginning of the um, snakes and ladders board. I cold called a lot of doctors. I spoke to people who were doing research in Oxford University around long COVID. I started assembling these different um, pieces along along with my friends. And one of them was breathing, by the way, which is a very extraordinary, miraculous thing if you can harness it. And I'm I'm not sure that I do completely harness it in a way that um, people can. But you can do extraordinary things to your nervous system through breath work and actually in Mount Sinai Hospital, which is the long COVID center of expertise in New York, breath work is the sort of first thing that they do with with their patients.
0: So you're doing breathing, you've got the B3 and then you've got the kind of the mindset stuff as well. Tell me about LDN, low dose naltrexone. Because for me, I've had someone close to me in my life who was a heroin addict and naltrexone Mm -hmm. is what he was given correct as a method of recovery so when I saw that I was a bit
1: like eh? yeah what <laughs> yeah 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 and it is very scary that so now Traxone and obviously I've got no medical experience here at all so just aim off you know everything I say yeah. it's just personal yeah. what I've learned now Traxone sure. is as you say used in its normal dosage by the NHS to treat people with opiate addictions And I don't know how many years ago they discovered that low-dose naltrexone, which I think is like a tenth of the amount that's normally given, Mm. has this immune modulatory effect and this anti-inflammatory effect on your body. So it calms down your immune system and seems to just generally sort of Diffuse things, I guess, in your system. And it's used to treat a huge array of autoimmune illnesses, but also cancer. There are oncologists, you know, professors of oncology in Harley Street who use it. I think I was told that it was 80% of people who use it seem to have a very good response to it. And I'm one of those 80%. And in fact, I seem to be, um, even out of that 80%, one of the really, really lucky ones um, in that... I started taking low dose naltrexone and we're talking about nine months now after I got long COVID when I'm back up on my feet, the mindset techniques, the vitamins, the breath work, the lifestyle changes. They've all really I've been working my ass off to get I mean, it's a full time job full-time job I'm not working I'm under contract my publishers have been very generous but I've my life is totally on hold in that sense I'm more or less managing with the kids again Um, but I am using all my the rest of my energy on this kind of detective hunt and putting myself back together which yeah Every day I thought about you know the single mother who single income oh my God sitting Kate. at home with uh, juggling kids and a job they can 't afford to give up and no partner to support them this time that I therefore had because I was under contract to just explore what the hell I should do and think, how are they managing? They must be going right. completely insane. I know that depression kicks in for, for a lot of people with long COVID and, and I imagine despair if you're in that yeah. position where you can't help yourself. But as I say, low-dose naltrexone, I, I do recommend it to everyone I speak to now with long COVID because, you know, it might not work for everyone, but it's had this radical effect on my life. Uh, so, you know, I was I would probably say seven sixty percent there, um and then within maybe four weeks of taking the ldn i was bizarrely better in terms of you know what my partner said and my friends said they were like this is your 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 back now i then got even luckier In I was feeling stronger and stronger. And then we got given this opportunity to to, um, relocate to Africa for three months. I mean, that's a change. That's a big old change. Um, And that was, for me, the final piece in the jigsaw puzzle, because I was on low-dose naltrexone and all these other techniques. I knew how to kind of get myself through a day in a way that was kind of nutritionally because that plays a part too and in all these other ways the best way of um getting through the day in long COVID terms and then I got this chance to massively simplify my life and how did that come about that chance um well it was sort of wasn't handed to us in the sense that I explored it and I guess made it happen I was I was looking for a way to (laughs) um to sort of get us out of our lives and I found a a local school in Africa and was able to move my children to it and because of remote working with my husband we just moved the the show over to Africa. And, and why, d- why did you want to go to Africa? Well I my both my parents are South African so I've had this link to right. Africa I've got a very good friend who lives in Kenya and then particularly I heard about this school this amazing kind of local school on the coast I mean who wouldn't want to go on the coast sort of north of Mombasa where it was outside um schooling and kind of you know walking down a dirt track to kids school you know as far as away you could you could get from our kind of you know media creative central London lives and uh and so we we were just lucky enough to be able to do it For three months. I unplugged. I didn't really phone many people. I didn't. I just sort of checked out. God knows how few people get the chance to do that. And I'm sure I would have got better anyway. But for me, it really sealed my confidence. It felt like a crash course in in calming down your nervous system.
0: talk about living in the middle of a big metropolitan city like if you are sensitive to sound and light and chaos and you go to Kenya and you realize how much you thrive in that kind of simplification in, in terms of a place and rural being close to nature and then you come back to the city like how did you I guess recalibrate
1: coming back to London after knowing how good Kenya was for you? such a good question i am trying to recalibrate that the, right. the thing that i learned there which sort of amazed and frightened me at the same time was that um when you're somewhere like there you can afford for all your senses to be totally open because there's not actually that much going on so you know maybe a bird passes mm. by or you know you're kind of watching the water there's not a huge amount of kind of incoming stimulus and you're kind of very alive to nature and textures and smells and it's not a rush of things and everyone's moving at a slower pace and there were there were far fewer people so I could afford to be entirely open to everything and when I came back I actually had to fly to a a funeral and I went via Istanbul airport and okay. I walked into Istanbul airport and the lights and the noise and the kind of adverts and the sort of huge kind of crashing over stimulus of modern life was utterly overwhelming. I felt wow. like all my synapses were totally fried. And I've realised in the last few days that you cannot afford to keep every all your kind of like, it's almost like having all your vents open. You can't afford to do that, or I can't afford to do that in London in the way that I was living in Africa, that you have to actually shut certain things down. Because if you're painfully aware of people you're passing in the street and the pain in people's faces or the anxiety or the hostility or the homeless guy on the street, if every single thing is sort of turned up to max in the way that I was absorbing things in Africa you wouldn't cope and I've realized that actually a lot of city life you have to shut things down and displace things which is obviously not a healthy way of living and my big challenge now is how am I going to incorporate some of those things some of those kind of ways that I lived out there in this wildly different environment and not just feel like I'm in the wrong story the whole time that you know I need to be living this very very different life in order to be fully well and fully healthy and of course one of the huge things I was frightened about was am I going to come back to London and start feeling unwell again you know sure my body's coping with it fine it's my mind that's that's questioning how do I do this how do I kind Mm. of Mm. how do I live in a way that feels completely honest and open but is not overwhelming yeah
0: and and not too open as to be damaging to yourself yeah I mean is is there something where you have to choose the vents you go right I'm you know while I'm in London this vent and this vent and this vent has to be shut but you you afford yourself and make sure now moving forwards, that you have a chance to live with all vents open at certain times in your life or in your year, yes. so that you can exist like that.
1: Totally, and that's that's the plan. I mean, that's a
0: luxury. <laughs> it's obviously a complete luxury that, to be that, able to do that. Yeah,
1: but. It, that that would that would be the dream. That would be the yeah. a- the actual dream. Um, I mean, I think it's really important to you know, not just have in my mind simple life out there, good London kind of, of busy life, band. Right. And and there are things about coming back, and we can all identify this in, yeah. you know, whatever life we're living in, which is the emotional support that I've got with my friends and my family and everything sure. is, uh, is hugely helpful for your body and mind. You know, you're being supported, and I often think of it as an actual physical support, like, you know, you're being held up by the people around Mm. you as well so there are things that perhaps compensate for some of the things that are a sort of fry on your on your system but I think you're absolutely right I think it's about like how do you edit your life carefully how do you make sure that you're living intentionally and that you're not just sort of being rushed along by life and that there are some things and as you say a lot of it's a luxury but there are some things you can switch down or switch off that maybe you're not considering doing enough and you should. Kate how has long Covid changed you? It's changed me really profoundly in the way that I I don't take anything for granted at all anymore and I think I I really did before, but like I said earlier, I think it's it's more that it's revealed things about me than fundamentally changed mm. me. So in that sense, it's made me super aware of my limitations and my weaknesses. It's made me ridiculously grateful for the bits of me that do work and, and, and fundamentally that I've just got through this. Mm. Um It's also just a a very, very humbling experience overall. There are only occasional moments early on when everyone didn't know a lot about long COVID where I thought, well, hang on, can you die of this? You know, can can your system just conk out? There have been very few sort of life or death moments, but I have felt like my relationship to time has really changed, you know, and that the combination of feeling like I lost time and quite a lot of time slipped by... And also being acutely aware of time in the day, you know how you use it and what effect it's going to have on your body, has meant that I'm rather than feeling like I'm just rather blithely moving through time, I feel super aware of it all the mm. time.
0: Mm.
1: And how do you want to use it now? Like having had that
0: that experience of feeling like you've lost or feeling so viscerally every single minute in terms of when you can function properly and when you can't, like. How do you want to use your time now moving forward?
1: As a writer, some of that's about what am I going to write about? And while I was out in Africa, I wrote a draft of a short book. And it was, I think, rather tellingly all about someone who was in the wrong story and needed to get into a different story in their lives. And what I'm going to try and do as much as possible is try and make sure that I feel like I'm writing about that aspect of life. Like... How intentional is your life? Are you using your time well? But also, there's a really practical, practical thing I want to do. I've decided I want to um, become a magistrate, which oh is <laughs> uh, which is something it. that anyone can do with no qualifications and actually only takes, would you believe, 21 hours to qualify to do. And it's something that I'm not sure I would have thought about if I hadn't had long COVID. Uh, I was stuck in my body and in that room for so long Uh, and as a novelist I'm in my shed you know all the time as well and I'm in my head those two things came together and I felt right I want to get out into the world more I'm excited about that I've always been someone that actually really likes change my worst fear is getting stuck is a sort of Mm. being too static so I think You know, I'm going to learn to be a a magistrate, but I'm also going to very intentionally keep myself open to big change in my life. Yeah,
0: you said change is the secret to a fulfilling life.
1: Yeah, did I? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um yes, I feel like that. I do feel I feel like that it's painful to change often a writer a psychotherapist called Julia Samuel who I'd really admire says that pain is the agent of change and there is pain involved in all change but that if you can if you're not frightened of it if you're willing to open yourself up to it and to stay alive and not get stuck for me that's the secret of feeling most like I'm living the right life. Yeah. Well, um
0: I'm absolutely in awe of how you have got through these last 18 months and and, and just not just like got through it but fought through it and and kind of found your way out the other side and I'm so happy to see you so well and I just thank you on behalf of all of our listeners who either are sufferers of long COVID or who know people in their lives who are for being so um, enlightening in terms of your own personal journey as well so thank you so much Kate Well thank you If you know anyone suffering from long COVID or you are helping someone through it, please share this episode with them. Uh, I'm going to send it to everyone that I know who suffers from long COVID. And if you recognise some of the symptoms, anything that is recognisable, it's worth just sharing out to people that you know. We'll put loads of useful links in the show notes too. I must stress again, if you're having difficulties, if you're worried, just go and visit your doctor. They are the experts. And thank you so much to Kate for her really honest account of what has been such a traumatic time for her i'm kind of in awe of her tenacity and her strength in getting through that period of long covid okay next week you are going to be able to hear what went down at our first ever live Episode of Changes, which took place, as I said, at the podcast show in London. My guest was drag race finalist Ella the Day. Nick Collier went from working in the West End to working in Morrison's when COVID hit, but during lockdown, he started to experiment with drag on Instagram before applying to Drag Race UK. We talk about going through these huge changes as well as Nick's early life, which featured huge upheavals. Uh, So it's a really interesting conversation and totally enhanced, I hope, by the addition of a live audio. Audience. really interested to see what you think thank you for listening to the podcast as always let me know what you thought follow subscribe to changes leave a rating where you can and send 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 please this episode to everyone you know changes is produced by louise mason through din productions see you later